morning, everyone. Let us pray. God, you are almighty. God, you reign supreme. You reign over heaven. You reign over earth. God, you are the beginning and the end. You are everything, God. Thank you that you are in charge. Thank you that we don't have to be afraid, God. We don't have to be afraid of the unknown. We don't have to be afraid of chaos. We don't have to be afraid of darkness anymore because you are almighty. God, thank you that you have loved us. Thank you that you have saved us and redeemed us. God, I pray that we would never forget that. Please be with me now as I preach your word, God. I pray that it stirs the hearts of the disciples here. I pray that it helps them to believe in you like never before. We pray this in your name. Amen. in your Bibles to John chapter 20. Thank you so much to uh, Hillary for sharing your hearts. She's amazing, isn't she? Thank you, Martin, for your example of sacrifice. Give him a round of applause. It's a privilege to be here in God's church. It's a privilege to be able to come and to speak to you. And God's put a message on my heart because I really believe that this is not only what you need to hear, but it's what I need to hear as well. And so I'm preaching to the needs. In John chapter 20, verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means twin. See, Thomas, he was a bit of uh, bipolar. He was a bit hot and cold. And here we see that, here's one of these instances. One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Can you believe this guy? Can you believe that? Jesus raises from the dead. And appears to the disciples, but he's not there. It shows you the importance of coming to all the meetings of the body. He missed that one meeting, and Jesus came back, and he wasn't there. <laughs> and they're like, Jesus is alive. He's like, nah, nah, no, he's not. It's like, Jesus is alive. Nah, no. Unless I see with my eyes the nail marks and the piercing aside, I won't believe. Nah. Let's continue reading. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Imagine that would have been of a very unpeaceful time right there. You're in a locked room and Jesus just appears. It would have been very unsettling. But Jesus came to calm them. He said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Stop doubting and believe. Doubts, the very opposite of faith. So many people today, they say, I could never believe in God. There's, there's no evidence for God. Thomas was like, I can't, I can't believe until I see the evidence. I've got to see with my own eyes the nail marks and the spear piercing in his side. 
And Jesus, he doesn't come and he doesn't rebuke him for desiring evidence. He shows him, look, here's a nail, here's a side. Put it in here. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me, yet have believed. People today are looking for evidence to believe in God. But the reason why people do not believe in God is not to a lack of evidence, it's to a lack of faith. There's so much evidence for God. So much evidence. Open your eyes. Everything from the smallest microscopic organism to the greatest galaxy in the cosmos. Everything in the world has the fingerprints of God all over it. There's so much evidence for God. The reason why people do not believe is not from a lack of evidence, it's from a lack of faith. The title of my lesson today is Stop Doubting and Believe. What we need is faith. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 to see what the Bible actually says faith is. Spend a lot of time at UCL, and their people, they have an objection to faith. They say, I can't live with blind faith. I can't live just blindly, just believing in stuff for no reason. Well, that's, that's not what faith is when you actually go to the Bible. It doesn't say blind faith. Let's see what the Bible actually defines faith as. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Faith is not blind. Faith is not, is, is not just believing in nonsense. Faith is being confident. Faith is knowing. Faith is having an assurance. You are sure in what you believe in. This is what faith is. And I want to really speak to you today about faith. See, maybe you've come here today because you believe in God. Maybe you came because you did not believe in God. But you're all here for a reason. Many of us have come here today because we want something from God. Right? Let's be honest. Like, you want, you want something from God. You want God to give you a husband. You want God to give you a new job. You want God to make you happy. You want God to deal with your anxiety. You want, God, you want something from God. And do you think that's a bad reason to come to God? No. That's, that's okay. We, uh, maybe, maybe your life is so awesome that you don't have any issues, but I got some issues. I got, I got some problems. I got some stuff I need to work on. So if you're just super awesome, I'm, I'm happy for you. But I'm still a work in progress. And the good news is, is that if you go to James chapter 1, the Bible, sp- the Bible speaks about the messed up people in the world. It speaks to those who have some issues and who need some help. In James chapter 1, in verse 5, It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Man, do we have any thick people in the house? Yeah? Anyone who maybe needs a little wisdom? Yeah? The good news is, is that God has got unlimited amounts of wisdom and God, it says, will give it to you generously. Not stingily, not like, okay, that's your one prayer for the week. Okay, I hope it was a good one. Save it till next week, yep. No, it says that God wants to be generous. 
God wants to supply our needs for us because God loves us. Becoming a father has changed my understanding of God because I love my little girl so much. I love Kiva. She's so cute. You guys all love her too. It's like, if, as soon as Kiva can start talking, we're going to have to be careful because she's going to get whatever she asks for. She, she's she's going to come and she's going to ask you for something. Like, oh, can, can I have your chocolate? You'll be like, of course, Kiva. Here you go. Take it. <laughs> she's going to ask. And if, me as a father, I'm going to want to give her because I love her. I want to make her happy. I want to make her life better. I, I really care about my daughter. And that's how God views us. God loves us. God wants to give to us not just what we ask for. God wants to give to us generously to supply all of our needs. But let's keep reading. It says, verse 6, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown, tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. If you're asking God for things and he's not giving them to you, it's possible that the reason why he's not giving them to you is because of your doubts. Like, God... Give me a new job, but I don't think you're going to give me a new job. Right? What do you think he's going to do? God, please help me to meet someone today, but I know London's not open. God, please help me to be more confident, but I know I'm never going to change. Right? Why would God answer your faithless prayers to encourage your faithlessness? Wow. When you're faithless, I'm going to bless you. When you're faithless, I'm going to do miracles in your life. No, the Bible says when you ask God for things with a doubtful, faithless heart, don't expect to get anything. Don't expect it. Like, imagine if Kiva came up to me. She's like, Daddy, Daddy, can I please have something? I know you're not going to give it to me, but I'm just going to ask you anyway. Be like, what is wrong with you? Like, <laughs> like, how little do you think of me? Like, how little do we think of God? Because when we ask God for things faithlessly, it's either because we think that God can't help us or that he won't help us. Like, God, I would love for you to help me, but I know you're not powerful enough to overcome my situation. God, I would love for you to do this for me, but I know you don't care enough about me to actually do it. I've prayed those faithless prayers, and guess what's happened? Nothing. Right? And you guys are laughing because you know it's true. You know I'm not the only one. We've all done this. And I want to encourage you, if Thomas, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, could feel this way, if he could be Didymus, if he could be the twin, back and forth, faithful Thomas, faithless Thomas, faithful Thomas, faithless Thomas. Man, that encourages me. It's like, okay, there's hope for me. If he can make it, I can make it. And so... This is what we need to do. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28 in verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Not just Didymus, not just Thomas, no, some. See, faithlessness spreads. How crazy is it to think that you can worship God with doubts? 
They worship God. Wow, God, our God Almighty reigns. I don't really believe our God Almighty reigns. Right? You can come and you can worship. You can sing the songs. You can give the money. You can, you can share your faith. You can worship God with doubts. If the 11 disciples did it, who are we to think that we're not going to be able to do it? Who are we to think that we're immune from struggling with doubts? And I want to help you to see what is Jesus' response to doubts. Let's see. People doubt him. They're worshiping him. They're praying. They're singing. They're everything. But they doubt. It says verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus responds to doubts with truth. He responds to faithlessness with truth. He doesn't, he doesn't encourage them, say, well, please, please believe in me. Please, I know I, di- I died, I rose from the dead. Remember, I healed Lazarus. Remember, I cured the blind and the deaf. Please, hear some more evidence. He says, no, no, no. This is the truth. The way you respond to faithlessness is with the truth. The way you respond to doubts is with the truth. That is how you overcome. Turn with me to John chapter 3. I have a simple sermon. Two points. Point number one, begin with belief. John chapter 3 in verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is, at the same time, one of the most powerful and misunderstood scriptures in the whole Bible. People don't get it. They see this and they're like, okay, believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I'm good to go. No, that's not what it's saying. It says, believe in Jesus. This isn't just like pray Jesus into your heart and then you can continue living however you want to live, zero repentance. But we could be super critical of other churches. We could be super critical of other people that are like, I pray Jesus into my heart. I pray Jesus into my heart every day. I know for a fact I'm going to go to heaven because I pray Jesus into my heart. I believe in Jesus. I have zero repentance, zero righteousness, Zero integrity, but I believe in Jesus, so I'm good to go. But on the other side of the coin, we can then focus on all the stuff I got to do. Oh, do you go to church? Do you read the Bible every day? Do you pray every day? Oh, do you give the contribution? Do you sacrifice? Do you have a special mission? Who did you have a visitor? Who did you have a Bible talk? And we do all of these actions without really believing in Jesus. See, Everything begins with belief. If you don't believe you can do something, guess what? You can't. And if you don't believe God can do something, guess what? He won't. The Bible says that God loves you. The Bible says that God loves you so much. He sent his only son. As a father, this has so much more power in my life. Think about my only child's. If I were to love a stranger so much that I would sacrifice my child for their life, that love 
is just un unable to be imagined. And then if that stranger was like, I don't really believe that you love me. I, I don't believe, I know, I believe that you did this, but I don't really believe that you love me. Like, I believe Jesus died. Yeah, that was, that was nice. Thank you. But no, I, don't, I, I believe in the facts of Jesus' death, but I don't believe in the consequences of Jesus' death. I don't believe in the implications of Jesus' death for my life. See, everything begins with belief. I want to tell you about a great Englishman by the name of Roger Bannister. See, Roger Bannister believed he could do the impossible. He believed in 1954 that he could run a four-minute mile. Now, for any of you guys that have done any running, that is very, very fast. <laughs> it was so fast at the time that no one in the history of the world had ever run a four-minute mile. It was so difficult that people believed it was humanly impossible. They said that it is physically impossible for a human being to run that fast. Like your, your heart will fail. You're, 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 you cannot move your legs that fast. And for nine years, all of the top athletes from all over the world tried to break this record. And they would get so close. 404, 403, 402, 401, 402, 401, 403... We, we can get close, but this is the limit. This is the limit of human capacity. No human can run faster than this. See, Roger Bannister, he believed he could. Now, he wasn't some incredible elite athlete. Roger Bannister was a neurologist. He was a campus student. And he believed, like, he's like, okay, I'm, I'm studying medicine. I'm studying neurology, uh, but I'm a pretty good runner. And I don't believe that this is a physical limit. I believe this is a mental limit. And I believe that I can run a four-minute mile. So he started training, and he started running, and he ran, and he failed. And he ran, and he failed. And he ran, and he failed. And people were like, see, I told you so. I told you you can't do it. Look, you've tried like four or five times, and you can't do it. When are you going to see the facts? The facts are this is impossible. And they said, hey, even if it were possible, it would have to be under like the most optimum, most perfect conditions. It would have to be in front of a stadium of thousands upon thousands of people to give you that motivational boost. It would have to be the perfect temperature. It would have to be a nice warm day. The track would have to be perfectly dry. Everything would have to be perfect because this is so difficult. Well, Roger Bannister, in 1954, he gathered at a track meet for Oxford University. And it was not a big meet. It was less than a thousand people. It was a cold day, and the track was wet. All of the opposite conditions that people said would be necessary for him to break the record. And he ran around, and everyone was waiting to hear the results. There was a pause. Roger Bannister's time was 3.59. He broke the record. And the whole place exploded. He did the impossible. No one could believe it. The whole world attempted to break this record, and no one could do it. But Roger Spanister could do it because he had faith. But this isn't even the, the truly shocking thing about this story. 
46 days after Roger Bannister broke the record, somebody else broke it. And then somebody else, and then somebody else, and then somebody else. And since Rogers Bannister broke this record, over 1,300 people have broken the four-minute mile. See, there wasn't some major physiological shift in humanity. It's not like humans got stronger or faster or better at running. The difference was is that after he proved it could be done, people believed it could be done. The only thing that changed was people had faith. They had faith that it could be done because he proved that it could be done because of his faith. The only thing that was holding people back from breaking this physical milestone was faith. And we see that Roger Bannister was a man of great faith, but he wasn't even a disciple. His faith was in himself. Do people in the world have more faith in themselves than you have faith in God? See, there are people in the world, they have such great faith, but their faith is in the wrong thing. They believe in themselves, they believe in their government, they, they believe in the government, they believe in their company, they believe in their family, they believe in all sorts of crazy ideas. They have faith. But we need to have faith. We need to have faith in the word of God. Because when you read the word of God, you look at what people who had faith were capable of doing. Abraham had a son when he was 100 years old by faith. Moses led 2 million Israelites through the Red Sea by faith. Joshua led the people around Jericho and the walls of Jericho fell by faith. Rahab the prostitute, she was living in the walls of Jericho, but she was spared. Her house was spared. It wasn't destroyed by faith. Daniel survived a night in the lion's den by faith. I could go on and on and on about great men and great women who had faith. But do you have faith? That is the question. Where do we get faith from? If you're saying, man, Colby, I'm not Roger Bannister. I don't have faith. I'm not Abraham or Sarah or Moses or Rahab. I'm not like any of those people. I don't have faith. I suck. I'm the worst. Don't believe that. You don't suck. You're not the worst. You're a disciple. You were worth Jesus dying for. You were valuable enough that Jesus sacrificed his life for you. Don't believe the lie of Satan that tells you you're not good enough. You need to believe the truth about God. And I want to remind you of the truth. Turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, again, another very misunderstood scripture, but an incredibly powerful scripture when it's properly broken down, when it's properly explained. In Romans 10, and verse 9, it says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. We stand up and we do this whenever we get baptized because we have faith in our baptism. We have faith in the word of God. We say, Jesus is Lord. 
But this wasn't written to people who were getting baptized. This was written to the church. This was written to disciples. Because you don't just say Jesus is Lord at your baptism. You say Jesus is Lord every single day of your life. You don't just believe in the power of Jesus the day you're baptized. You don't just believe in the blood of Jesus the day you're baptized. You have to believe in Jesus every day of your life. Because if you don't, you can't be saved. You don't get saved by coming to church. You don't get saved by sharing your faith. You don't get saved by having lots of Bible studies. You don't get saved by giving contribution every week. These things, if they're not done in faith, are useless. They're worthless. And I, I got to appeal to you guys because I think that there are some of you who are doing things not in faith. There are some people here that your, your, your Christianity has become so toilsome, so burdensome, so exhausting because you're not doing it in faith. You're, these, these actions are grinding down your life little by little. They're breaking you down because you're doing all of these things not in faith. Paul wrote this to the Romans to remind them. Remi remember when you got baptized. Remember how much faith you had. You believed that Jesus was going to take away all of your sins. That you were going to be washed clean. Don't forget that. Don't forget how you were at the very beginning. Be that way now. Have that level of faith now. This is what we need. We need to have that baby Christian faith from the very beginning where you say, hey, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything, I'll give up everything for Jesus. I believe, I believe, I believe. It says, verse 14, how then can they call on the one who they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. In case you haven't noticed, I'm preaching to you right now. I'm preaching to you to believe in Jesus. Maybe you don't believe in Jesus right now. I'm going to try and change that. I want you to believe in Jesus. Believe in the word of God. Because when you believe in Jesus, you can be saved. You can have all of your sins forgiven. You can go and live with an incredible power, unlike anything anyone in the world has. But here's the thing. Verse 16 but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. Just because someone comes up and stands and waves their arms and shouts at you and tells you cool stories from history, it doesn't mean you're going to believe. Not all the Israelites believed. But my prayer is that you walk out of this room changed. That you're not like the people that, hey, hear the message, you see the miracles, and you turn your back on God. You, I, I just, I don't want to believe that. That's not what I want for you. That's not what God wants for you. God wants you to hear the truth and to accept it. It says, verse 17, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, Colby, man, I, 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 I want to believe. I, I got some faith, but my faith is low. Like, I feel really faithful now when you're preaching the word to me. But what about tomorrow? What about Monday morning? That I have low faith on Monday. What about Tuesday? I have low faith on Tuesday. Wednesday's good because I got midweek. But then, <laughs> but then Thursday, I got low faith. I don't believe in Bible talk. I don't, I don't know. 
So your faith is not in me. Your faith is not in midweek or in Bible talk or in Campus Devo or... No, where does faith come from? Faith comes from the Word of God. So I have a simple challenge for you. If you lack faith, you know how you get more faith? You read the Bible. Right? Mind-blowing. Where did that come from? <laughs> Whoa! That's the nugget. The nugget of truth. The secret. The problem is you don't believe that sometimes. You don't think that if you read the Bible, you'll get more faith. Well, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says if you read the Bible, you'll get more faith. It doesn't say by believing in the Bible, you get more faith. By hearing the message. See, I sometimes struggle with my faith. Sometimes bad things happen. I get discouraged. Satan hits me with a fiery dart. And I feel down. I feel sad. And you know what I used to do? I used to numb out. I used to go on social media, on YouTube. I used to read news about what's happening in the coronavirus or whatever, like, which definitely did not help my faith. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't help. It, what it does is it just numbs you out from the problem. And you, you feel numb for a little while. And then you get back into reality and the problem's still there. You don't have any more faith. All you've done is wasted your time, right? <laughs> and if anything, you're probably more discouraged and more faithless instead of doing. But now what I like to do is whenever something bad happens in my life and whenever I feel sad, I read my Bible. Like, I think that we, we've had this, like, this strange idea that like, you, you read your Bible in the morning and then you're done. Like how many times do you eat? You don't eat once a day, Right? And some of you guys, you don't even eat three times a day. Sometimes you eat more than that. <laughs> but this is the thing. Is that if you're hungry, it means that you need more food. If you're faithless, it means that you need more faith. It's so simple. Some of you guys need to start reading your Bible in the morning. Read your Bible in the morning, first thing. But some of you have awesome quiet times first thing in the morning, and then you feel sad in the afternoon. Guess what? Read your Bible again. And then sometimes you have a hard day at work, and you get home, and you're discouraged, and there's the wife, and there's the kids. Guess what? Read your Bible again. Your wife's not going to encourage you. Your kids are not going to encourage you. They're not going to fill you with faith. You know what will fill you with faith? The Word of God. Your spouse will get tired of talking to you. Your kids will get tired of talking to you. Your friends will get tired of talking to you. You know who never get tired of talking to you? God. He's there 24-7. You wake up in the middle of the night. It's 3 a.m. in the morning. You're having a panic attack. Read your Bible. God's there for you. You have a problem at work. The meeting doesn't go as planned. 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Read your Bible. 
You feel tired, read your Bible. You feel sad, read your Bible. You feel happy, read your Bible. You have a great victory, read your Bible. You have a great defeat, read your Bible. Read your Bible. If every single person in this room read their Bible until they had faith, what would happen? What would happen? Baptisms, that's what would happen. We would have such an overwhelming amount of miracles that are happening. We'd be so overwhelmed with God's glory, with his power, with his majesty. Read your Bibles. And some of you may need to read your Bibles more than others. Sometimes you might read the Bible one hour, that's good. Sometimes you might need to read it for two. Sometimes you might need to read it for three. I don't care. Read the Bible for five hours if that's what it takes for you to be faithful. Read the Bible as much as it takes for you to have faith. Point number two, live in the light. Let's go back to John chapter three. So you remember how I said that uh, John 3.16 is one of the most misunderstood verses? Because people live to read it out of context. Everyone loves to read John 3.16, but people don't like to read John 3.19. Let's read John 3.19. Let's see what it says. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Everyone who does evil hates the lights and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so what may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. People love to talk about their belief in God. I believe in God. I believe in God. I believe Jesus, my Lord and Savior. I believe in God but they don't want to show you their life. And then they get really upset when you ask them questions about their life. I believe in God. Really? Tell me about it. Why do you want to know? Because you said you believe in God. I feel like you're pressuring me. Whoa, what's going on here? You said you believe in God. I believe in God too. Let's be friends. I don't want to be friends with you. Like, really? It seems like you're hiding something. I don't know why I get that impression. That is crazy. The number of people that they say they believe in God, but are living in darkness. I had a friend this morning. He called me. We were, it was great. He was coming. We came over to the house. We had some chicken. It was great. We studied the Bible. We we're praying together. It's awesome. And he's like, he texted me this morning. He's like, Colby, I'm not coming to church. Thank you for helping me, but I'm not coming. Okay. It's like, yeah, I just, I think that uh, I believe in God. I want you to know that I believe in God, but I'm not coming to church. Like, that's a bit strange. Why are you not coming to church? No, I just, I just think that I need to worship God by myself. You got to worship God by yourself? Why do you want to be by yourself? No, no, I just, Colby, no, I'm not coming. Well, the Bible says that those who believe in God come into the lights. Because things look very different in the light than they do in darkness. Your life, when you bring it into the light, looks very different. Sometimes you think your life is really bad, 
Sometimes you feel really guilty, you feel terrible, and you bring your life into the light, and people are like, what are you talking about? You're incredible. You're amazing. You're an amazing woman of faith. You're an amazing woman of inspiration. You're an amazing source of God's power in your life. What are you talking about being anxious? What are you talking about having these evil satanic thoughts? No, no, no. No, no, no. That's not true. Believe the truth. So if you're feeling super evil and super guilty and super terrible, come into the light and you might be pleasantly surprised by how much encouragement you get. (laughs) Right? (laughs) However, you might be feeling super awesome about yourself. Ho, ho. I'm a disciple. I believe in Jesus. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Yeah, I feel great. (laughs) And then you come into the light and people are like, you did what? You're doing what? No, bro, that's not right. That's not what believing in Jesus looks like. That's not what a life of faith looks like. But this is the thing is that your beliefs show through your actions and your actions show your beliefs. It's kind of like going to the gym. Do we have any gym fans in the house? How many people have had a gym membership that they sign up for, that they pay for every month, but don't go to the gym? Right? Coral's the only honest person in the room. You know, I believe in going to the gym. I believe in going to the gym. I think it's awesome. I think it's great for my health. It's going to put me in shape, make me nice and strong. And I think there was like a year where I paid, it was like 50 pounds a month. 50 pounds a month for a gym membership. Guys, that's not even that expensive for London. Like, it's like 50 pounds a month. And I, I think I might have gone like a half dozen times in the year. Like, do the math. That's 600 pounds wasted because I believed in going to the gym, but I never went to the gym. Like, getting a gym membership doesn't make you healthy. It doesn't. You could pay the money, but it doesn't make you healthy. And here's the thing. Coming to church doesn't make you saved. It doesn't. You can pay that contribution every week. But if it's not done faithfully, if it's not done believing in Jesus, you're just wasting your money. Right? It's not going to do you any good. And this is the thing, is that I don't want to be living a lie. I don't want to say, okay, I believe in going to the gym, and then don't pay, and then I pay him his gym membership, but then I never go. I don't want you to say that you believe in God, and you come to church, and you do happy, clappy songs, and you give the hugs, and all of that, but you don't really believe in God. You're wasting your time. Do yourself a favor. Just be honest. Just look, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in the mission. I don't believe in world evangelism. I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe. Because then you can get the help that you need to change. Then we can do some Bible studies. We can pray for you. We can fast for you. We can get you to actually believe. Some people believe in God, but they don't do any work. Other people do all the work, but they don't believe in God. Both are wrong. Wherever you're at, if you're someone that you say you believe in God, but you're living a hypocritical life, and you're not actually living how a Christian should live, repent. 
If you are living a hypocritical life and living how a Christian should live, totally faithless, you need to repent. Because both of these are wrong. They both lead to hell. That's where they lead. Ultimately, destruction. I want to share about a guy called Charles Blondin. He's a French guy. We have, all the French people are in, in Paris. This is like, okay. <laughs> Vasi, there we go. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so Charles Blondin, he believed that he could cross Niagara Falls. And in 1859, he set up a tightrope across, and he crossed Niagara Falls. And he believed that he could do it, and he did do it. He got on the rope, and he walked across. And then he walked across, and he walked in the middle of it, and he sat down, and he had a boat come underneath him, like several hundred feet below, and he lowered down a rope, and then he pulled it up and brought up a bottle of wine. And he poured himself a glass of wine, he sipped a little bit of wine on the middle of the tightrope with the waterfall in the back. Then he walked across and he grabbed a camera, not like a little camera, no, like the big wooden legs, put the thing over your head camera, and he came out and he like took a picture of people on the other side. He crossed over in shackles with his arms and legs shackled, and he scooted over like this. <laughs> the craziest thing he did, get this. So he went across carrying a stove and utensils, and he cooked himself an omelet <laughs> in the middle of the tightrope. <laughs> no, no, this is like, this is, this, this is an electric stove. That's a big metal stove with a fire. He made himself a fire, and he cooked himself an omelet. And then he lowered the breakfast down to the ship below. He's like, here you go, enjoy some breakfast I made for you. Wow. He was crazy, absolutely crazy. He never had life insurance because he said no one would take the risk on him. <laughs> and here's the thing. After doing all of these incredible miracles that people watched, so there was like 25,000 spectators that came and watched him. They're like, wow, we believe, we believe, we believe. You can do it, you can do it, you can do it. It's awesome. He says, okay, who wants to jump on my back and go across with me? It was very quiet. <laughs> And there was one guy who believed. His name was Harry Colcord. And he jumped on his back and he says, okay, don't do anything. Don't try to balance yourself. You're gonna be just like me. You're gonna, we're gonna be one. And where, if I sway, you sway. And we're gonna do this together. And they walked across. Who was Harry Colcord? Harry Colcord was Charles Blondin's manager. He was the only guy that believed enough in him to put his life on the line, to step out in faith. See, this is what true Christianity looks like. It's not just faith, it's frightening faith. To, to step out in faith and to put your life in someone else's hands is frightening. It's scary, but it's exciting. It's adventurous. Can you imagine... Harry Colcord in the middle looking at Niagara Falls from a viewpoint that no one else could see it from. See, when you step out in faith, you get to see things that no one else in the world gets to see. You get to do things that no one else in the world gets to do. But it's scary. It's frightening. But if you really believe, if you really have faith, you can do it. Why is my challenge for you? 
jump on Jesus' back and walk across the chasm. See, Harry, Harry Colcord believes so much in Charles Blondin. He says, hey, I trust you with my life. If I go with you, I'll be safe. This is what we do. We don't need to walk across the tightrope ourselves. It's not based on our own efforts. We go to Jesus, and Jesus picks us up, and he carries us along through life. All we have to do is have the faith to believe that he can do it. This is my challenge for you. If you were walking with Jesus and you got too scared and jumped off, jump back on. Say, okay, I was scared about what was happening. Some frightening things were happening in my life, but I'm going back on the ride. I'm going to get back on the adventure. And if you've never actually done this before, if you've never actually completely believed in Jesus, completely stepped out in faith, do it. Do it today. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another week. Don't wait till next year. No. Take this opportunity. Step out in faith. Give Jesus your life. Because I promise you, there is nothing like it. In conclusion, let's go back to John chapter 3. When you have faith combined with action, what does it produce? Verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. What is the result of living a life of faith? Miracles, baptisms. I know you want to change people's lives. I know you want to help other people be saved. There's, I don't think there's a single disciple in here that's like, you know what? I don't want anyone to be saved. I don't want anyone to get baptized. No, I know you. I know that you want people to become disciples. I know that you want to help other people know Jesus. I know that you want to help people be healed from the pain and suffering in their life. You can do it. You can do it. The Bible says that when the disciples put their faith in Jesus and they walked with him, they went out and they baptized. This is my challenge for you. Stop doubting and believe so that people can come to know Jesus. People can come to be the waters of baptism and that many people can be saved.